Because yep. in the most advanced video game, you come to a mountain that your character can't jump over because they've decided Red Dead doesn't go that far. Yep. Uh, but in a role-playing game, you don't. You have me improvising, and if I'm any good, I should be able to. I should be able to build. I should be right ahead of you, building track, mm-hmm. so you can take the train anywhere you want to go. But it's hard to do. It's hard to to even conceive of things that are open ended because our brains don't work that way. What happens when you sit down with a comedian who also puts out incredible live actual play RPG content? You get a lot of laughter. This is a fun episode. I had a chance to sit down with Jared Logan of Stream of Blood. On his Twitch and YouTube channels, you get all kinds of GM advice, as well as actual plays of games like Call of Cthulhu, Blades in the Dark, and Vampire the Masquerade. We talk about how he got into comedy and how RPGs and tabletop gaming were a love during that whole process. He gives some really great advice on how to run a better game. We had a lot of laughs along the way. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Jared Logan of Stream of Blood. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today's guest is Jared Logan of Stream of Blood. Jared is a comedian with his own Comedy Central half-hour special along with several comedy albums. Now, over the last nine or so months, he's created over 100 different live streams and videos of role-playing actual play as well as GM advice. Now, I found Jared's channel, uh, The Stream of Blood, as I was searching for Blades in the Dark actual play to get ready for my interview with John Harper. But after watching just a few sessions, I knew we needed to talk him into coming on the show. Um, you could probably hear a lot of smoke being blown by me during this episode, but I will tell you straight up that I think he's one of the best GMs I've seen on Twitch. Um, he's got a very unique style. Um, it is pure entertainment, and I like the fact that he focuses on a really interesting variety of games from Vampire the Masquerade to Call of Cthulhu to Blades in the Dark. So, Jared, welcome to the third floor. Hello, uh, and say hi to John Harper for me. I've never gotten to uh, meet him or talk to him, and I would like to tell him how great his game is. Oh, Jared, I, I mean, I've interviewed... Games are. Yeah, I've interviewed a lot of people, and it might be my favorite interview so far. Now, granted, this one isn't just started, so who knows, but... Well, I... I hope I don't disappoint. I hope I can live up to the great chat you had with John Harper. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, his game is so great. So uh, thank yeah. you if he is listening or hears it through someone else. Thank you for creating such an amazing game. And, uh, Craig, you say I have a unique GMing style. What is it? It sounds well, like I'm putting you on the spot. That's but... what we're going to dive into, Jared, because oh, okay. um, I honestly will be very interested to see where it came from. And I'd be also very very interested and you're getting ahead of me now on what how you define it um yeah so so let's go back in time mm-hmm. uh there was a day 
where Mr. Logan knew nothing about dice, knew nothing about sitting around a table, playing pretend with other people, all of those things. And then suddenly you saw it for the first time. So when were you first exposed to tabletop gaming? Um, well, okay. Uh, I'm not trying to mess up uh, the order we're doing things, but can I just That's ask fine. one thing real quick? Because I just Please. remembered I wanted to ask you, how do you have three floors in your home? You're on the third floor. I am. I'm on the third floor of my house. So I work from home. Um, I work for uh, one of the big three consulting firms and work from home. So when my wife and I were deciding on buying a house, I told her I needed either, you know, a an, refinished an airy. You need an airy. Is 100% correct. So I said either a basement or, you know, an, a refurbished um area up above right an attic or something like that so it turned out we found this house it's got i've got 700 square feet and it nice start, bro oh dude it started off as you know this is gonna be my office but if you were to see it now jared my office it might be in fact you can see it on camera that's the size of my office the other 675 square feet are tabletop gaming role-playing game books miniatures paint tables all kinds of stuff so well i would be jealous of you if my house wasn't 1400 <laughs> square feet um i purchased it using money i made shorting stocks very smart so, very smart a certain robin hood um, move on your part uh that's right i was a bit of a robin hood back in my stock trading days no that's all lies and uh it's i, I mean I, i'm dying for a space like that one day uh, so I'm jealous of your your nerd uh, space. That's amazing. Well, you got to move to North Carolina, Jared, where you can actually afford a house. <laughs> right. Yes. Here in Los Angeles, uh, it's two million dollars and you get half a garage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I'm living in now. Half of a garage <laughs> that we share with another family. And they uh, they. And they hate role playing games. Well, they don't like they don't like us in their space. And there's been some <laughs> arguments, but I can't tell exactly what we're arguing about because they that English is not their first language. But um, when was the first time I encountered dice and role playing games? Well, one thing I would say first of all, before I ever did any of that, I was very always very interested. You might even say obsessed with uh what you call playing pretend with my brother and our friend from uh across the street right so we had our little friend named nathaniel and my brother and i and we would um do these elaborate scenarios uh where i was essentially the game master but we didn't know what a game master was right we didn't have character sheets we didn't play dice and i would say okay now you're cavemen and you have to fight a robot or so i mean really stuff stuff that crazy a lot of times I, it, it, my scenarios back then would come from seeing a toy on tv that i wish i owned or walking with it through the video store with my father and seeing the cover of a of a movie that i probably wasn't allowed to see <laughs> and then and then saying oh well, i'll just go home and make my brother and my buddy nate pretend to do that and i will pretend to be all the bad guys so that was something i did for many years to to, to, to an age where it made people worry. Sure. You know what I mean? I like do. I was like, yeah, I was doing it and I was a little older than it was, I guess, uh, culturally acceptable to do that. Now, um, of course, at the same time, so I got all my nerd love from my dad, all my love of nerdery from my dad. How who, so? And, well, he was, um, first of all, a huge horror fan and would let us watch movies that were totally inappropriate for us. And uh, 
my favorite thing about my dad was he would rent something like Puppet Master uh, <laughs> or, I don't know, uh, Nightbreed or something like that. And he would let us he would let us watch the violent parts. Right. But, you know, these movies that we're talking about the 80s and early 90s. Lots so of boobs. When there was a sex part, my, my dad would make my brother and I go out of the room. And so we would be like out of the room in another. I don't know how uh, vulgar I can be here, but we be, we could be out of the room. And we would hear like, oh, 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 and my dad would be like, stay out, stay out. And then we, and then we'd hear like a chainsaw go, and the woman go, ah, and he'd be like, okay, you can come back in. So that's when we, we so, so, uh, but also science fiction and fantasy. Yeah. My dad would, but horror number one, my dad would read to us from Stephen King wow. when we were very young. Uh, and then it's all making sense to me now, Jared. Yeah, well, he got in trouble for that, but I want to thank him for it because we enjoy we enjoyed it. We loved it so much. Yeah, my father would also tell these long stories that we thought he had made up. He would tell these long, elaborate science fictiony stories with like twists at the end when we were like picking my mother up from work or no he had kidding. to entertain. Yeah, and then then later I watched the Twilight Zone and was like. <laughs> These are the twi the Twilight Zone. Did my dad write for the Twilight Zone? All of his stories. That's funny. Have the same plots. Um, but it, it is funny. I'm just like I, that didn't. You know, I just thought that was hilarious. Later, when I realized that he had but he set, all those. He set the table for you though. So he got you, he got you loving stories. Obviously, you had a very active imagination as a kid. So was there a moment of validation when you realized like you're the only not the only person to enjoy doing this? Um, I, I guess, you know, I, I think for a lot of people, it's very hard to figure out how to get into it. Or it was at the time when I was kind of first finding out that there were games. So uh, I was a comic book fan as well by like 1990. And I remember the original Marvel Universe role-playing game mm -hmm. had a had boxed sets. Everything back then came in box sets like the old uh, Dungeons and Dragons box sets. And so I'm in Walden Books and I see that there is an X-Men boxed set. Now, I don't know what's in that. I don't know what role-playing games are. I just know that this is a box and there's X-Men in it. <laughs> so I convinced my mother to buy it. I was like for a birthday or something. I could have something that was, you know, extravagant amount of money, like 20 bucks. Yep. Uh, and I get it home and I pop it open and my mom's like, do you like it? What is that? And I'm like, I don't know what it is because... Yep. It was like maps of the X-Mansion, and I was like, I thought that was cool to have. I'd never seen a map of the X-Mansion. But then there were these books, and they talked about all every character that had ever been an X-Men, and I liked that because now I had a nice thorough list of every X-Men character ever. But what did all these numbers after the paragraphs about the mean? I had no idea. I never bought the original Marvel superheroes role-playing game and I still have never played it. So it was I, a supplement. It wasn't the game. It was a supplement. <laughs> you needed the game to play it, but I didn't know that. And it, it, it only very slowly dawned on me. I started accumulating these products and I didn't know what they did or I, you know, often I would buy a supplement or I would buy some sort of or, or I would buy, you know, a player's book, but not a dungeon master's book. So I didn't know. And and, and no one was helping me. And I knew no one else who played. Right. And it was only when I got a little older, I might have been all uh, 15 or 16. That we started to become aware of the world of darkness, the world of darkness ah. books 
which uh, we're talking about the original Vampire the Masquerade. So for me, 15 years old is 1995. And uh, I think Vampire the Masquerade came out in 90, maybe a little later, maybe 92. Yeah, it was early 90s. Yeah, very right. early 90s. Yep. And so these books started finding their way to us. They, we found them in the comic book shop, Gateway Comics and Games in Morgantown, West Virginia. And uh, these we were able to play because it all came in one book, mm -hmm. right? So when every time I was looking at Dungeons and Dragons products, I didn't know what I was looking at. <laughs> like it was by then it was Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and you're like, what is is this the book I used to right. play? Like, and they were so granular and like and uh, number crunchy and full of stats and blocks of text that seemed very daunting to a 15 year old kid but vampire the masquerade the sheet uses dots uh the the core book for it the second edition was thin it was this thin little book uh and um we started playing that and we still didn't play that according to the rules we sure. sort of kind of made it up as we were going along but we were able to figure out what the intended game was and that really is what started us a vampire werewolf all of those uh, old White Wolf, World of Darkness games, Wraith, oh, uh, yeah. Mage. Mage May. Yeah. I remember buying Mage and being really kind of thrilled to own it and also not having, you know, always people to play with. But I, I, I had a friend named Brad and my brother would play with me. And so th those were what really, for me, were was my real entrance into the role-playing game hobby. Now, did you get into any other type of tabletop games? Did you ever get into board games, Magic the Gathering, and stuff like that? Or were you pretty much laser-focused on RPGs? My brother is a really, uh, really talented card player in, 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 with CCGs or uh, LCGs, you know. Yep. And even today, uh, when there is a uh, convention scene, my brother, his his... Game of Choices versus, which is, uh, yep. yeah, you know it. Yep. Okay, so he he'll go and he'll he'll win money at the tournaments sometimes that they have at like Gen Con and stuff, and uh, he likes to uh, post on sites about it and he's done commentary on live streams of versus games. And my brother was, he's younger than me too, by the way, by two years. He kicked my ass at every game of Magic: The Gathering we ever played. So I quickly lost interest in that. <laughs> yeah. That's not a universe I can control and write all of the uh, details of. I will say my the reason I always lost was when I was making my decks. I the most important thing to me was the theme or the right. story I was telling. You know, I wouldn't put. Why would why would dr the dragon riders have a black lotus? They they're not from that part of Dominaria, so I wouldn't put. <laughs> I wouldn't put cards that felt like the story didn't make sense. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have goblins team up with you know paladins. Are you out of your mind? Sure. And so that's why I would lose because the game doesn't really care about the fiction that much. Right. It just, yeah, it just works mechanically. Um, so yeah, I played. I played that, and I've played versus with my brother, and I love big board games like uh, oh uh, Terra Mystica. Yep. I'm a fan of. Um, you know, my my favorite board game of all time is Tammany Hall. Have you played Tammany Hall? I have Hall? not, but I've been told by several people it's a great game. So the the only, the really quick elevator pitch I'll give for Tammany Hall is if you're a hardcore board gaming nerd, you will enjoy it because it will give you challenge and like lots of things to fiddle with. But you can also pull it out with your friends who don't know anything about games 
and they can play it too and have fun playing that's it. nice um i mean i love uh agricola mm-hmm. but you can't really pull that out with anybody there's right. a lot going on yep um so that's that's my favorite is tamming all right so we've got you now discovering um vampire the masquerade and the whole white wolf universe there uh and you're 15 16 finishing up high school um what happens after high school you stay in stay with gaming you go to college keep playing give it up take a break yeah no great question so um I think that everybody uh, has this uh, uh, that I know has this thing with their their nerd stuff, right? Like there were a couple times where I sort of got rid of it for a while, yep. right? So uh, as I completed high school, I was getting into other things. I was desperate to meet new types of people. I had lived in West Virginia and in uh, in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, <laughs> and I felt really kind of like I, I wasn't really a fan of those places in some ways, in sure. some ways. And so I really wanted to create a new me, like a lot of people do when they get to college. And I was, and I was a theater major. So I was, I was getting into plays. I was trying to read books that were not science fiction and fantasy, which I'm glad I did. Cause I still do. And uh, I think it's important to read all kinds of things. So I got rid of my role playing um, collection for a while and it wasn't until like toward the end of college that I was like, you know what? I miss that. Yeah. And I have buddies here that I think will enjoy it who haven't gotten to try it. And I'm going to pull all that out again. So it was in college that I started playing Call of Cthulhu. Nice. Uh, ran some Call of Cthulhu games. Uh, tr- dipped back into the world of darkness. By that time, they were doing Hunter the Reckoning, not mm-hmm. the Vigil. Played some of that with friends tried 3.5 uh dungeons and dragons still couldn't quite grasp it or enjoy it the way i wanted to um because i thought it was still very you know uh, it it required a lot of buy-in yep um and and so um and so that was my college gaming uh experience you know most of the beginning of college was just like figuring out how to date girls and uh and, you know, get into these plays and do some acting and, and uh, learning about all kinds of learning about drinking and doing drugs like <laughs> marijuana. And um, and uh, yeah, I'm glad I, I I'm glad I took a little breather, you know. Yeah. And again, when I when I left college, I, I sort of sold off my collection again. Yep. Because uh, I, I was moving to uh, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I had never lived there. I wanted to become a stand-up comedian, and uh, I didn't have a lot of space in my apartment, and I needed some spending money. So I sold off a, a pile of books. My collection's much larger now, but at the time, I had a pretty good one. Yeah. I used to re- I used to just buy GURPS books like whenever I had a little extra spending money, the setting books, sure. and read them for the information it gave you about like feudal Japan, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and think, well, wouldn't it be cool one day to play a game like that? But I never played GURPS. Well, there, there was a source book for literally everything you could ever conceive of. And then there was right. a, a book that combined two of the books together into one. It was yeah. uh, pretty amazing. So, all right. So now I'm getting a sense of that. Uh, you finished school. Where did the, I want to be a stand-up comedian come from? Yeah, um, it's a great question. So I um, used uh, humor, uh, comedy as um, 
a defense mechanism. That's what all comedians do. Yep. Um, and it also performing was what got me out of West Virginia, which what got me out of Knoxville, Tennessee, got me out into the wide world and let me uh, kind of experience new things. And so I loved performing so much. And in college, we had a sketch group that we did <laughs> on our own. Uh, we were gigantic fans of uh, Mr. Show. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, some SNL and old Monty Python and the state was a huge one for me. Yeah. Do you remember the state? I do remember this. I was on MTV, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And I was I was obsessed with the state. And so we created our own sketch group and we did it sort of on our on our own time, you know, like and we started, you know, as you can often do as like a, you know, a, a little band at a college milieu you can get fans and you can build up a lot of people who will come and see you so we would have shows you know with hundreds of people there wow uh, i mean i'm not bragging because it's like not every single person was a student at our school and not a one was not and <laughs> right. the second you leave college you know you're thinking wow i think i'm a sketch <laughs> big deal star and i think a lot of people <laughs> in music bands find this out like sure there is a deeper wider pond out there <laughs> Uh, that it will take you years to navigate. But, um, yeah, so we had a lot of fun with that, and that was one thing that we, we did that started me. F it, I'm going to Chicago, and I'm going to make a run at this. It was the biggest city that was, like, near where my, my college was in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. So it was the biggest city near there. I knew a couple other people that were moving there, uh, but I had never been. And I just knew that I wanted to be in a big city. I just yeah. knew it. And I was so thrilled and excited. The you know, the, I mean, I love Chicago still today. But the first couple of years there, I had a shitty job. I was making eight dollars an hour. I think uh, I had, didn't. I almost didn't have enough for my rent. Sometimes I, you know, I ate so cheap every day, and I fucking loved it. Yeah. I just loved being there, and I got to do stand up comedy every night. And uh, meet all kinds of new people. And it was just so exciting. And Chicago is beautiful. It's a great city. On a spring day, on a spring day, you walk out of work, spring Friday, and you look at you got your whole weekend ahead of you. Yeah. Oh, my God. So wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a good city. It's a good city. So how long were you in Chicago then? I was in Chicago from 2003 to 2008. Oh, and okay. now, we're, now we're in another period where I didn't play a lot of role-playing games. While I was out there, um, uh, I did notice that there was a new world of darkness, <gasps> a new one. They they had Crisis on Infinite Earths did. Yep. They had rebooted it. And I noticed that, but I was like, I'm a little busy doing stand-up every single night of my life. And I think that I'm going to skip it for now. Again, toward the end of my time there, I found that I was like, okay, Stand-up's going well. You know what I mean? Like, I have enough money to, like, survive day-to-day -day without really worrying about it. I have enough money to buy a game book. And so, and, and, and you know, right toward the end of my time, I got my first TV credit. And I just felt like things were going well, so I, I, you know, I started getting into it again. And I played a little bit of Mage the Awakening because yep. Mage had always been my favorite of the uh, – of the old White Wolf games. And I, I made a video with my buddy Kumail and my buddy Robert and our buddy Steve about Dungeons and Dragons. 
uh, kind of like a joke video about it, like a funny, a comedy video, and you can still see it. It's still up. <laughs> um, and I don't know how to search it except I think if you put in Jared Logan Dungeons and Dragons. I'll track it down. Yeah. I'll put it in the show it. notes. I well, hope you like it. Maybe you'll hate it, but <laughs> I still think it's a little funny. I, I was really proud of that. So let's pause for a second. So you've got your father laying, really setting the table like we talked about, right, with his storytelling, immersing you in, in fantasy, science fiction, horror and stuff. Then He you liked games, too. He, he loved to win at cards or play Risk. So, yep. yeah. Yep. So then you discover role-playing games and go, holy crap, I've been already doing this, but now I can do it with some sort of structure and dice and in a world that's been created. And like you said, a lot of us, me included, we we put it on the back burner or we put it away for a while, right? What I'd be interested to know is as you were then transitioning into stand-up comedy, how much of that came in with you? So w- were there any skills from your father, from playing role-playing and stuff that you found yourself using on stage? That's an incredible question, and I hadn't really thought of that before, but I think it's true that, um, you know, I would, I would always say that one thing that helped me was a lot of guys start stand-up having never talked in front of right. a crowd. Well, I had done all of these plays, right? I'd done monologues. I'd been in this sketch group. So I thought that kind of gave me a little bit of a leg up. But, you know, now that you mention it, like, um, role-playing games, being a dungeon master or a game master was incredibly helpful, too, because you are doing a little bit the same thing. You've got this group of people in front of you, and you're taking them on a little journey, mm-hmm. and you got to kind of steer the ship and let the show them things, right? And that is what a stand-up does as well, right? Um, Read the room. Right. And, and, you know, and also one thing, if I'm known for anything, I'm not, but if I, but if I was and in another world where I was known for something in my standup comedy, uh, it's uh, crowd work. I really love doing crowd work and crowd work. I didn't know how to do when I was leaving Chicago and I kind of learned it later, mm-hmm. um, by really paying close attention to some of my peers who are much better comedians than, than I have ever been. But, uh, basically, you know, that's improvising, right? That's, taking a suggestion from someone else and not like an improv group, but like I'm just doing a solo performance, but I'm talking to people and I'm coming up with comedy on the fly about the things that they're saying to me. Well, that's, that's game mastering. Very. I think that's very much game mastering. Yeah. Yeah, right? definitely. To use the player input is super important. So there it is. Did we go from Chicago to LA? We did not. We lived in New York for seven years. Look at you. So you go to the big, big city. That's right. So, And, and is that chasing comedy? It was chasing comedy. Uh, let's see. I was 28 and I was like, um, I don't think I'm going to become a famous comedian here in Chicago. You know, one thing that was really awesome about Chicago was there was no entertainment industry there. Interesting. So, well, that was good, though, because it meant people were just creative for creativity's sake. Nobody thought that they were suddenly going to become rich at it or that they needed to please somebody at a network. Um, but the other side of that is, okay, you're super creative, but nobody sees what you're doing. Right. So um, some of my friends moved to LA from there. Some of my comedian friends, some of us moved to New York city and I moved to New York city. Uh, and um, I had a TV credit when I moved there and I felt really confident about my prospects and i learned quickly (laughs) that new york is like fuck you get in line behind the guy that started yesterday you know like um but that was good for me i still had a lot of growing up to do 
at that point. And New York is tough, but it kind of makes you a little tougher. I wasn't a very tough boy. I'm still a soft boy, <laughs> but at the time I was goo. Yeah. So, um, so you know, I I dug into New York. Uh, success wasn't immediately forthcoming. It shattered my ego. Yeah. I had to put my ego back together and keep trying. And after I stuck with it in New York for a while, people noticed. And I was able to start making a living doing the things that I like to do. And I'm still doing it. I haven't I haven't uh, had a job outside of writing or performing since 2011. That's so a big I've deal. So I've made it 10 years now. That's a big deal. Um, I'm just realizing as I speak to you, Craig. Yeah. I've made it 10 years. It is a big deal. Yeah. It is a big deal. And um, it's really gratifying. Um, but come on, let's get to what people really give a shit about, which is... Dungeons and Dragons fourth edition came out <laughs> while I was in New York City, and I thought, well, here's the new edition. I bet it'll be easier than the other ones I tried to play, or maybe I'm a different person now and I can run it. And I ran uh, a big campaign for comedians in New York City. Um, I lived in a basement. I, our apartment was two levels, me and my roommates, and my floor was the basement. I had the entire basement floor. No windows. I lived in a place with no windows like Gollum in The Hobbit. <laughs> playing um, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I would have... And scoring uh, checks left and right, I would imagine, with that setup. I did okay. I did okay. I was pretty funny on stage. I did okay. But, um, you know, uh, I had comedians come over, hilarious comedians and, and people who are writers, you know, Mike Drucker, who's a writer on Sam B, yeah. who's, who's been on my stream before, Mike Lawrence who I've played a lot of games with, who else was Brian Baldinger, who runs the, um, this was when we first played games, who helped me run the stream of blood. He's one of my partners and producers. We're still playing these games now. So this is, we've been playing these games for 10 years. Um, and, uh, you know, they would all come over and I would run Dungeons and Dragons fourth edition, which, uh, as you may know, is very miniature and grid based. It's very important. In fact, to use the minis, Yep. And to know the areas and things. And I was just having to draw map after map and then erase and then draw another map. And I had to keep this big chest full of minis. But I got them to level 13, uh, which I think is pretty good um, with my own personal campaign. And then we had a big campaign send off one day where I just, you know, destroyed the world and, you know, everything in it kind of. Um, and, uh, that was really fun. That was really fun. And I, people say that's their least favorite edition and I understand why, <laughs> but I think it also goes to prove that if you have the right group and yes. the right game master, you will enjoy almost any game. And that, that was our situation for D and D 40. So I'd be interested, Jared, in that scenario, you're introducing the game to, uh, performers, people that, um, now had were most of them not played before was this their first role playing experience that's right i think so i think so that's what, true what was that like then i mean as far as being the person that introduced them to that was that easy was it hard was there something that if there's somebody out there thinking you know what you know if jared could introduce five people to this and that i've and and, and they've never played i can do it too like what was that experience like well it was uh it was it wasn't that difficult because um, I had a lot of enthusiasm from these guys. You know, as as people that 
<clears throat> sorry, absorb media, right? Like, and comedians are definitely that. And I know everybody thinks like I watch a lot of shows, but sometimes <laughs> comedians and people that want to work in TV are really, you know, omnivorous in their media consumption. And so I, you know, I picked people who I had had nice little chats about fantasy novels with. I think a lot of people do that. But then also you've got the performer side of all these guys. Right. So these are guys who all, you know, were comfortable talking in front of each other. They were comfortable, you know, maybe making a fool of themselves sometimes mm -hmm. if that was necessary. Um, definitely people with great imaginations. Um, but that said, there were still people that would come in and play and they were great. And then they would say later, you know what? I just don't think it's for me. And you can't take that personally either because right. um, the biggest dork in the world, I think one of our players, you know, he's like a comic book nerd, a wrestling nerd, <laughs> all these types of nerderies that you think would overlap with Dungeons and Dragons. But at the end, in a, he played for a while and then in a very cool, nice way. He was just like, I don't think this is like my jam. And I was like, right. I get it. I totally get that. That's no problem. So who did you really set the hook with then, Jared? If you look back at that time, who was it that you um, introduced the game to who now is just in love? Oh, like you were the gateway. Interesting, interesting. Uh, did, or maybe somebody you didn't expect to fall well, in love with it the way they did. I mean, there's all kinds. Of well, well, Brian, who is still my partner, you know, he had played a lot when he was young, but I don't think he had played any in recent you know, he probably had a, a break from gaming that was maybe 10 years long or more. Right. So he had played, he told me with, and I've heard this is a lot of people's story too. I wish I had such a cool story. It's his babysitter. He had a, he had a dude that babysat him and his brother when he was young. And that dude was into Dungeons and Dragons and needed players. Nice. And so my buddy Brian got to play you know, first edition or, or like basic expert Dungeons and Dragons yeah. with this kid on a regular basis because he would babysit them regularly. And then I think he had a long break. And then, you know, we've been playing games uh, ever since, uh, you know, I kind of got him back into it. I remember distinctly he just found out a group of the comics were doing it because he's not a comic and was like, can I please get in on this? <laughs> like so intensely. And I was like, of course. And so he was at our first session of that 4E campaign. That's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool. So, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to dive into um, the content creation piece. I want to talk to uh, Jared a little bit more about Stream of Blood, um, where it came from, how it was born, and um, the reality of running um, a media empire the size of Stream of Blood um, mm -hmm. versus the perception of what it's like. So we'll it be right back. It is massive, yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hi, I'm James Hahn, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars because I'm a henchman who loses most of his games, and the podcast has tons of valuable information to improve your play as well as what to expect from other crews. You can support them too. The link is in the show notes, or just search for Third Floor Wars on Patreon.com. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? $5 a month? $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. 
Time to give a shout out to our newest patrons. A big special thanks goes to James Kahn, Rage Quit Wire, Deck Roll, Aloy, Robo Rotten, Jacob Suderman, Joshua Hatch, Donald Kroger, John Fox, and David Gadea. Because of you and the 100 plus that are supporting us on Patreon, we're able to put out regular content on a weekly basis. We appreciate it. So, like I mentioned, the way I discovered Jared was uh, through his stream of blood. Uh, I found him originally on Twitch, then found a YouTube channel. Um, then, of course, he's got a podcast, because um, I think in order to be validated in this world, you have to have all three now. Um, and uh, I'd be really interested. I found out as I started researching Jared a little bit, I realized that he was a stand-up comedian, and that, that really piqued my interest. So, Jared, I, we did the whole journey from I don't play games to now I play games and we learned about where comedy came from and started. When did the idea of creating role-playing content come from? When, when was the first spark? Yeah, so I, um, I've had a couple of, um, I guess you'd say, aborted attempts to create something uh, that was role-playing uh, centric. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, I don't want to go too much into details because a lot of people were involved, but I, I will just say if you are someone out there who's trying to create maybe your own role-playing streaming channel or podcast or whatever you're trying to do, like it takes sometimes it takes a couple attempts and don't get too discouraged if things fall apart. You can start again tomorrow. I had a couple things like that. We had uh, a project. Uh, I had it with Clinton Trucks, the secret uh, keeper, GM, DM uh secret storyteller on my channel he and i well, have worked I, I couldn't book clinton he said no so i had to i had to book you instead oh well you gotta get clint on here he's very well <laughs> he's so much more well spoken than i am and i think that sentence just proved it no, i'm um, a big fan of him he's just so fucking um good at make talk good so he uh he and I had a, a Dungeons and Dragons kind of five E project um, that we were talking to wizards about. It ended up not happening. Then we were kind of working on a podcast, which would have also been sort of uh, Dungeons and Dragons y kind of based. Um, it would have been actual plays. We had an angle on it. I'm sure your project has one too. Right. I I don't think you're going to get to see it now. Uh, but uh, that sort of fell through too. And uh, partly because of pandemic, it sort of fell through. And uh, why is like, that? Well, because we were working with people that we couldn't see and we didn't know how um, video phone worked and, or I didn't. And uh, it just sort of kind of didn't come to fruition. Okay. Uh, one of our partners decided that they, in a very reasonably and in a nice way, decided that they didn't want to do that anymore. And I totally got it. And then uh, Brian Baldinger, my good old friend out of the blue, was like, let's stream games. And, um, you know, I, I, this is this is um, something I've thought about. I should have been streaming in the first place. I should have just been streaming. But there's something about it. You know, I'm a 41 year old man and I uh, it shows you how old fashioned you become very quickly Streaming is sort of a phenomenon of like, I guess you, if we have to use the term, we'll use the, the slur millennial or generation Z. That's another slur. I don't like those terms, <laughs> but it lets us quickly point out a demographic. Right. And I think that I, I there's part of me, even though I was watching some streams and enjoying them. Right. I, there was part of me that was like, that's their thing. 
That's you the know kids. what I mean? Like, yep. And I had created a podcast, so I knew how to create a podcast. And I had also done things where people filmed me, so I knew how to do that. And my previous projects were that, you know. Uh, and and then, you know, uh, my good buddy Brian and, and Clint, both of them were able to help me get comfort, uh, get a comfort level with how the technology works, with how the posting works. Uh, and that took a while, too, because I am sort of a Luddite. I kind of uh, fear technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've gotten a lot. I feel like I've gotten a lot more open-minded about it. And I realized, oh, my God, l- leave role-playing games alone. Why wasn't I for years streaming just my stand-up or, right. you know, comedy pieces? And I have some plans in in the works to do that as well at some point. Um because what an amazing way to go and select your own audience. It's right? amazing, isn't it? And people, uh, people might, uh, who know me as a stand-up primarily, might look at what I'm doing now and be like, well, he's playing games, like he's playing these nerd games. But, um, well, first of all, I'm 41 and I don't give a fuck anymore. Exactly. But the <laughs> other thing about it is like, the other thing about it is like, I was doing local LA shows uh, when I would stay in LA and do local LA shows to kind of um, work on my material, I never got eighty people on a <laughs> on a Tuesday night. I never got ninety, a hundred and twenty people to watch yeah. me. I mean, I know that these are not gigantic numbers as streaming goes because we you know there it's are still those... ninety people, Jared. It's still me, 90 that's people. That's how I think about it. Yeah. It's still 90 people. And yeah. 90 people weren't watching me a couple yeah. times a week, you know, uh, two years ago. And um, and so that, I think, really, uh, it's, it champions all of my causes as a writer, as a performer, and as a gamer. And I just think everybody needs to be doing it because this is, you know, let, leave Twitter and all the shitty social media alone. This is how you get your voice out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. It, um, it's, I am just, I mean, I'm relatively new to it myself. Um, the podcast is only two years old and I've only been streaming for a year. So, um, and much like you, I knew nothing walking into it and you just kind of freaking figure it out. Um, but, um, I want to take a step back for a second though, Jared. So I, I haven't quite figured out where, so you talked about the, let's talk about the aborted projects. Like, so before the aborted projects, what made you go, you know, screw it. I think that I want to create role-playing content. So I don't want to just play with my buddies. I want to broadcast this. Where does, where did that come from? Or was it yours? Was it, was it someone said you should do it? Or did you say, I want to do it? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you know, I'll be honest with you. Um, so once I got to LA, which was in like 2015, cause I got a job on a late night show. Um, I had a little free time. I didn't have a child yet. I do now. Um, my wife is, is such a busy lady and is a really talented stand up herself. So some nights she was out and I was home and so I had time to play games. So I played a ton of games and there was always talk about maybe this should be a <laughs> podcast. Maybe this should be, we should make YouTube videos of this. Maybe we should turn this into a performance, but I was really hesitant to do that because in my mind, role-playing was like a special thing I do with my friends. Yeah, It's a show that we put on for each other mm-hmm. and not for a wide audience. And um, I also I, uh, understood from having turned previous things I loved into work 
that you are turning it into work. Right. It's work to put these things on. Yep. And sometimes it can spoil them a little bit, to no be question. frank. So um, you need to be careful and think about it carefully. And and I had friends that agreed with me that were like, this is, no, we're playing because we're friends and we want to play the games. We're not doing this to kind of get money out of it or become famous doing it. That said, later as I thought about it, I was like, well, you know, I really do. This is like something I feel like I'm talented at that uh, that is gaining some some momentum in society and that uh, I think I know enough about myself now as a performer and as a professional to do it in a way where I don't spoil it, where I keep it fun Um and then pandemic was really the the quarantine was really the ultimate excuse. It's like, yeah. okay, now what are you waiting for? Yep. Uh, and so I was so happy when Brian came up with the idea to start doing it. And uh, I knew right away I loved it. I knew right away. And that's why we're able to just churn these out because I won't stop. <laughs> uh, I will not stop. Uh, and so... Um, did I answer the question? You I don't did, Jared. It, 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 it took an hour and a half, but we got there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the lanes a stream of blood does. So there's you, there's Brian, and, and there's Clint, right? Is that is it pretty much the three of you? It's the three of us, and then we have a social media manager, Megan Arch. Okay. And we have now a YouTube content producer, Matt Moynihan, who's going to help us with more of those YouTube videos about you know GMing tips and things. So where, where does, I, I have a sense of what Clint does. He does, it seems like he does a lot of the live production. Does that sound accurate? That's right. And he's also essential in the booking. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also knows the rules, which is super handy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, um, he knows the games. He's a yeah. big gamer. Yeah. Um, so where does Brian fit in? Brian is, uh, he helps us with a lot of the business side of it, which we are, you know, kind of slowly constructing and, and making stronger because um, he is a producer. Uh, he books comedy talent on um, programs, uh, primarily, I think, how he makes money. But he's also been a producer in other ways. Um, he works for Starburns Audio and a number of other companies. Uh, so he's also a podcast producer, but um, he he's really kept an eye on sort of the business side of it and trying to uh, turn it into a concern that makes a profit. Yep. And he also is interested more than me and Clint, I think, in the technology. Mm-hmm. And so he's the one that's constantly sending new microphones to my house and making me <laughs> curse. Why do I need a new fucking microphone? <laughs> but I always need a new microphone. I need a new light, and according to Brian, I need a new room to do it all out of. And, and I, and a, I, 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 I don't know if I can house. handle. I don't know. I don't think I can watch watch you without the door behind you. You know, one thing I like is that um, this can be a little DIY. Um, I think that one day we will have a studio yeah. uh, that we work out of. But right now, I'm enjoying that YouTube doesn't mind, or that Twitch doesn't mind if it's a little DIY. No, 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 it's all, I mean, part of the beauty of, I mean, you can make, you can make your stream as pretty as possible. You can spend all kinds of time, effort, and love in doing that. If the content's crap, it's not going to matter. That's right. If the content's good, then, you know, do it yourself. I'm in my bedroom uh, with a purple light shining behind me is absolutely fine. Um, So what changed for you as far as being 
playing the game because it does change, right? It changes from you putting things together for your friends, performing in front of your players for the sake of your players. Now you're doing it as a production with with you know someone there helping you live with somebody you know turning it into a business and talking to it as a business how has that changed role playing for you or hasn't it well hopefully not much and that's kind of what i was talking about when i was saying you know i thought i knew enough about myself to i know where i will um where i'll get off the horse and say ah, i'm good i don't want to play anymore yeah. like when it, when certain things about it changed and so far none of those things have changed which you know, we um, we play, I would say, games with friends. You know, we're not we're not playing um, these like very performancey, very orchestrated. Uh, we're not trying to put on a play for you. We really play right. the game. My games are really open ended. You know, game mastering in different ways or learning to become a better one is really interesting to me. And so doing it over and over and over and over is like really kind of, I think, improved my GMing just in the nine months that you were talking about. Yeah. And um, uh, I don't know, man. I It's just like uh, I, 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 enjoy, I find I enjoy it more, to be honest with you. I really do. I enjoy That's a good thing. gaming more. Yeah. And in and, and the casts that we have and how much love and energy they put into it, even when they've never played before. You know, you're just sort of really grateful that they would come and make your game yeah. so good. And here's here's the thing. Since it is a performance, you suddenly get the player you always wanted from your friends, <laughs> right? Because, sure. because they're like, I got to bring it. You yeah. know, I've got to bring it. Um, and, uh, and that's okay. But I also hope that um, both they and I get so comfortable that it's happening really naturally and we're laughing and uh, and just having fun the way we would around a table. Well, and you've already answered my next question, which is what's made it better. And it sounds like getting the reps in has, has made it better for you um, and just yeah. being able to play so much. Well, I'm also realizing how hard it is to do certain things um, even when you know. So this is and this is also a process I went through for stand up comedy. You find out that you have weaknesses or you have habits that you fall into um that are not uh optimal mm -hmm. and then you go how can i divorce myself from this habit but then you find out that those things are are tough sometimes they are you you easily fall into them and um learning how to break yourself of them is to me an incredibly fascinating process and just to give one example that's role-playing related the railroad the railroad in a uh, tabletop role-playing game is, uh, if, if your viewers don't know, they probably do, but in care listeners, I'm sorry. It, it, it's when you play the game and the game masters basically decided you're going to go here, then you're definitely going to go here, then you're definitely going to fight these guys, and then you're definitely going to go here and fight these guys. Right. And that's the adventure. And it's kind of like being on one of those Disney World rides, you know, where you just see certain things, but you don't really get to drive. Well, I think it's incredibly important for role-playing games to not be that. I think it's incredibly important to leave the railroad behind and open it up. So, Because the only thing that role-playing games have that video games don't have is that you can do that. Because yep. in the most advanced video game, you come to a mountain that your character can't jump over. 
because they've decided Red Dead doesn't go that far. Yep. Uh, but in a role-playing game, you don't. You have me improvising, and if I'm any good, I should be able to. I should be able to build. I should be right ahead of you building track, mm-hmm. so you can take the train anywhere you want to go. But it's hard to do. It's hard to to even conceive of things that are open ended because our brains don't work that way. So you know you conceive of two branches or three branches, and then you realize that it's really still a railroad. It just has. I'm just having to work harder. I've built yep. two different encounters, but it still ends in the same place. I don't. I'm sorry. I've gone on this long rant. I will just say that like, um, that kind of thing is really fascinating to me. And that, Craig, is why I will never be rich because (laughs) I'm more fascinated with how it works than being rich from it. And uh, I hope I never lose that, to be honest with you. No, I'm Uh, I'm the same way, Jared. I'm the same way. And it, um, you know, let's be honest, if if you wanted to be swimming in Twitter money, you'd be doing five E five nights a week. Right. Right. Well, we're Um, adding a we're adding a Dungeons and Dragons game to our lineup. But I it's don't know how be, I feel about that. Ah, uh, but it's going to be 1980s rules, Thacko Tuesdays, and I promise it will be very stream of blood. Um, so uh, I'm actually really excited to do it because the old <laughs> rules, I'm just going to be killing characters every night. Um, so, uh, yeah, how did I break myself of railroading? I, yeah. I, I haven't, but I'm trying all the time. Like, okay. Um, it's also important to me that I write the scenarios for the most part. I've tried a couple streams where I, I ran a pre-published scenario. I really like writing them or coming up with them on my own. But um, and I and I have for the most part broken myself. I, I think I, I generally do make them open ended, uh, but um, it can be tricky. Sometimes something that you think is open ended isn't really. It's an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. The, sh- the shortest choice. You know what? Who helps you the most is players. Yeah. Because if you just remember, you have to say yes to their ideas. Then you know, if a player is a good player, they come up with stuff that blows your your story out of the water. And that's that's what I'm hoping for every time we sit down to play. That's awesome. So, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to continue this conversation where it's already headed, which is talking about what it means to be a GM. Um, Like I mentioned before, um, I really enjoy Jared's style, um, how he runs games. I want to talk about his process um, as a GM. So we'll be right back. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, 
wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So um, you heard me in the intro at the very beginning, a couple segments ago, talk about um, how much I enjoy how Jared runs a game. It um, There are things that Jared does that I do that I love. There are things that Jared does that I wish I could do. Um, but bottom line is, is that every time I watch him run a game, I enjoy it. Um, and one of the things that I really was hoping to learn from Jared today is is kind of his process. So uh, you asked me at the beginning, you know, Craig, what do you mean by uh, interesting or fascinating his style? Um, let's turn that around for a second first. I'll, I will answer your question. I, 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 you get one question and I will answer it. Right. But how would you describe it, right? So if you walked into a room of other GMs and, hi, my name is Jared, I'm a GM, how would you describe your style of GMing? I have a little bit of a um, a little bit of a trick to play on you. First of all, thank you. My ass is filled with smoke <laughs> after that. Um, just I'm blowing smoke rings out of my I'm, anus right I'm now. Good at it. My next thing I'll say is that I have I have a little trick to pay on you with that question, which is that I have asked people who have played with me a lot to answer that question for me. So I now know the correct answer. Oh, OK. Uh, because and I think that's something uh, a GM who's played with people for a while after you played with them for a while. Don't ask it on session five. But if you've played with people for years and you have comfort and you think they'll tell you the truth. Ask them what they think your GMing style is. And, of course, this also needs to be people who have played with other people because right. if they only know you, they won't know how to describe it. And um, I favor uh, I favor action uh, over planning or strategy. Uh, uh, and that is also probably um, something that comes from playing on stream, right? Because yeah. like like a stand-up comedy performance, you're sort of tap dancing for the people the whole time, and you don't really want to sit down and just talk about the uh, benefits and uh, and you know problems with certain sailing canvases in relation to how much gold you're going to spend on them as you outfit your ship. Like, uh, and I know that people play uh, games that way sometimes where they like to take a lot of time with the economy of the game and they yep. like to take a lot of time with the items and the, they like to like pour over the, the, the weapons lists and, um, they like to, and yes. Yeah. And also to plan. I mean, they like to mm -hmm. plan. They like to sit and go, okay, we're going to go down into this dungeon or into this vampire's lair. And we, we want to think for um, upwards of an hour and a half how we're going to do that. Um, and I uh, feel like it's not great for a stream. But in addition to that, I have never uh, really loved that as a player or a game master. I think that um, there are certain players that 
prefer that because well actually my two buddies clint and brian are both this type of player so they they can be really tricky to play with for me because they're this type of player that robin laws talks about in his robin laws of good game mastering which is um uh, the strategist or the tactician, I think he calls it. Yeah. Ideally, a game session for them is they accumulate so much information about the encounter that when, and then they arm themselves for the encounter with good planning so that when they get to the encounter, it has no, there's no challenge at all because they've planned their way, they've broken it. Right. right. Well, to me, that might be good gaming. But it's not good storytelling and it's not good drama, right? Like yep. e- even the uh, the Ocean's Eleven crew had a complication or two when they got to where they were performing the heist. So I prefer action. I like people to stop planning and do something, which is one of the reasons I really love uh, Blades. Blades in the Dark. And because also when people take a risk and take a chance and do something that allows me to play. Yep. I can't play while you're sitting and planning for an hour and a half. I'm sitting there. I'm kind of sitting there waiting on you. You know, people also forget that the game master is a player. I'm playing. Yep. Let me play. I'm not necessarily trying to fuck you over. I'm responding to your moves logically, but you have to make moves yep. in chess. They keep the little timer so that the, one person can just sit there and not make a move till the other person's asleep. They should have that in Dungeons and Dragons. You should be timed. We've got people listening right now, Jared, that run games that are going, I know exactly what he's talking about. So I want to know when you've got Clint at the table and he is planning things three ways till Tuesday so that he can completely avoid whatever conflict would be interesting. Sure. Um, what do you do? What are, what are some tools in your tool belt that allow you to press your thumb and push him forward? Well, um, yeah, so you should always, and usually I improvise this, but there should also be, there should always be a, a, a living world, right? So while the good guys are doing things, the bad guys are also doing things. They're not waiting in a closet for the good guys to do something. So actually my little metaphor just now of me like not being able to play, like sitting there waiting to take my turn, that's actually a little unfair, really. What I should be thinking about is, oh, if they're going to take three days, what do my bad guys do during that time? Yeah. And uh, I can kind of be writing notes on that and or, or more likely just kind of planning it in my head. And you'll see me on the stream. I often, when a conversation has gone on for a while where people aren't really making moves, they're kind of hemming and hawing, you'll suddenly hear me go, you hear something outside. Yep. Or, you know, you you know, I mean, uh, what is it? There's like a, a game book and I think it's Chandler, the the writer Chandler, who says, when in doubt, two guys kick down the door with a gun in their hand, right? Yep. Um, so that's always good advice because it, you know, the, the game is what the players do, not what the players think or what they were trying to do. So talk to me about prep then. Um, and, and, and I have found when I talk about prep that sometimes it's good to be specific. Um, so I want to talk about uh, the phenomenal series you did with the glass cannon guys um, with the blades in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, so you knew, all right, we're going to be playing blades in the dark. These guys know what they're doing um, mm-hmm. as far as role playing. Um, and then you had, uh, is it Ross? 
was he Ross Bryan came yeah. over. Yeah, he's our one of our go-to guys. He's an amazing role player. Phenomenal guy. Phenomenal guy. Great performer and a and a good player. Um, what did you what did you do to get ready for that game? So what does Jared is going to be running Blaze in the Dark look like? And I'm just being specific, but this is generic question, right? First, Clint had to convince me to play it because I I really prefer more older school games usually that don't have these sort of narrative mechanics because uh, in the past I had seen them go horribly awry where the you know players can just like kind of control the story a little bit. And I also thought like, why does Blades have all of the names of everybody that lives in the world in the book? Why does it have all the names of the neighborhoods? I, I can't con- create that on my own, and it's on the sheet. You can't even tell them, actually, you don't know someone named that because the names of the NPCs that they know are on the sheet. Yeah. And then um, I, I gave it a shot, though, because I, I wanted to play with the Glass Cannon guys who are awesome, and I thought, well... Uh, if they think this is awesome, then it's there's something about it that's awesome. So I read it through again, and I thought, oh, okay, this is a little bit different. It's almost the opposite of other games. Yep. Uh, but maybe that'll be interesting for me. I, at first, I just thought uh, I, I should try. I should be able to run anything. So uh, I should be able to run something that's the opposite of the games I'm used to. And I think if you watch my first session, you can see I'm still finding it really like I'm not quite I'm still I still don't really have my head all the way around it. But the, the other thing I've learned from Stream of Blood is you got to run something 10 times before you even really get it, like yeah. how it's supposed to work and what the game wants you to do in terms of prep. Blades in the Dark is the easiest game to prep in the world, which is why we're doing more streams of Blades in the Dark coming up here in February and onward. We're going to do like uh, Blades in the Dark, I think, like four times a, a, a month. Phenomenal. Because you can prep it so easily. Um, for me, uh, it's a list. It's just a short list. It's You know what it is? It's uh, I read some of the rules again so that I remember them. And then that's like casual while you're eating your lunch or, you know, uh, my wife is out, you know, grocery shopping or something. I, you know, read some of the rules again to remind me. I keep a sheet with all of the people they've met and uh, kind of the things they've done in places they've been. I look that over to kind of remember what we've already established. Because another little tip is if you've established something already, bring it back over yep. and over again. Don't create new stuff all the time if you can if you can avoid it. Bring it back, and those characters and, and places and things will start to have more emotional weight for the characters. And then it's just a list or two. It's like, if it's a heist, I'll write down, you know, oh, here's 10 things that could complicate this heist. And I, they are not full sentences. They literally can be like electric eels. Moving on. And yeah. I'm not attached. This is another thing is you can't be too attached to any one of them uh, because they might they might not happen. Right. Uh, And sometimes this drives people crazy that I GM like this, but I really believe in uh, Play Unsafe, which is a book uh, by Graham Walmsley, where he he instructs you to, you know, make your adventures. If you have stats, right, you have stat blocks that you can use if the game uses stats. If, you know, if you have like the tools you need uh, for it for bad guys or whatever. You know, pull a couple of those out of your toy box. And then other than that, just jot down a couple ideas and just improvise it. And um, so that's what I do. 
That's what I do. And it makes it more open-ended. It really does. It makes it to where their decisions really matter because I haven't anticipated any of them. I've just kind of thought of a bunch of complications. So how does that differ from, say, preparing for your Pittsburgh game, your uh, your vampire game? Mm-hmm. So um, is that is it essentially the same thing, even though the games are very different and and how they are run and um, how much has been done for you? Because the Pittsburgh, that's your world, isn't it? That's my that's my world. Yeah, yeah. I've 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 originated all those NPCs and stuff. So one thing I did leave out of my out of my talk about blades in the dark there was that I do, I do put some thought into the NPCs as well. Like, um, especially though at the beginning of the first time you run something, that's when I do a lot of that hard work where, you know, you spend maybe an hour or two kind of writing up some NPC ideas of people you think will be important characters. Uh, and then hopefully those just let you coast through the rest of the game. I mean, you just keep bringing them back. Um, of course my vampire players have blown up the, entire status quo of our game once or three times. So I do have to create new NPCs occasionally, but I have, I mean, I hope I'm not pulling you too much behind the curtain. Grab a stat block out of the book. Come up with a couple lines that describes the person's personality. Find out, figure out what they want and then let it ride. Yeah. People might, your characters might not even meet them. So don't do too much work. Now, sometimes if someone comes back that I didn't realize was going to come back three or four times, I go, okay, they need more than just one of the, you know, the Elysium Harpy stat book out of stat block <laughs> out of the book. They need, I need now to, uh, but by the way, I'm going to keep the stats. I'm just going to give them the, I'm going to personalize their disciplines a little bit, right? So that I'm not just glancing and going, okay, celerity. Like I'm going to now decide what their disciplines are a little more. Um, and then, and then, like I said, like knowing what they want is so important so that you can make them doing things while the characters are off doing whatever they're doing. Right. Um, so that's that. Yeah. I, and I'll roll for NPCs to see if they figure something out that's going on in the world or if they follow a certain course of action. So it's completely randomized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, I, I, sometimes I start sentences, Craig, without knowing how they're going to finish. And that was one of those. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, all right. So now Jared is ready to play. You're at the table. Cameras are on. You've got your cast. Uh, you've got your buddies. You're ready to play some games. Um, five minutes in, everything goes left turn, right? Players start doing uh, things you didn't expect. Um before we talk about what you do then, I'm trying to figure out how to word this, Jared. How do you listen? How do you absorb what the players are telling you? Not enough. And that's another thing that I realized. So I didn't realize it until I was doing the stream. But what I realized was when I would watch back the videos, and you can tell from this podcast, I do, I'm doing a lot of talking. I'm talking and talking and talking. And then when the NPCs talk, I'm talking. And then when rules are being used or we're adjudicating a fight scene i'm talking and i'm still trying to get myself to learn to shut up yeah set up your situation make sure everybody understands the situation and then be quiet like talk it you know a good challenge that to for me to set for myself and maybe you at home if you agree is to next game session try to talk as little as possible because when you're talking, the players aren't creating. 
and they're not acting either. They're not doing anything. They're waiting for you to finish. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, that's what led to, you know, eventually like letting people in vampire really have scenes with each other, you know, like, I don't think I'd ever been in a role-playing game. And by the way, this is Ashley Birch's genius somewhat, but also Thomas and Abu and, uh, and Ross are all, you know, improvisers and actors. Right. Just like, but I think Ashley was the first one that really started to just like, wait, let's have a completely emotional conversation with our characters about what just happened or mm-hmm. what we're thinking about doing. And um, that you don't get anywhere else, guys. Like, that's role-playing only. You don't get that in a video game either. So I got to shut up for her and them to be able to do that, right? Um, and then you get to sit back and be surprised and be also entertained as the game master. You know, you're not just working. You're being entertained by your friends. They're putting on a show for you, too. Right. And I've heard this from people that do improv. Um, and I've heard it from a lot of GMs giving advice. And it's around listening, right? That like like the art of improv is listening to the person you're improving with. Same thing for GMing. And it, um, you know, it, it, it's the old uh, Robert E. Howard uh, talked about writing Conan. He said, all I did was listen to Conan. Uh, he, and that's how he explained how he wrote all of those stories. Yeah. And, I, and I feel like that's that that kind of works in, in the GM arena. And I wonder if that's what you're finding as well, is that you're trying to push yourself to let them be part of the story or to part, tell the story. And is this tied to the railroad comment? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, the, it, yeah letting go of the railroad letting go of my ideas which are awesome my ideas are (laughs) but like what are their ideas you know and like can i help turn those into a story even if it contradicts something i had in my head about how the world works or who's in it letting them kind of bring some of those elements in uh and um it's just so much more fun that way, I agree. but it's hard to do mm-hmm. because it's um, scary. Improv is scary. So you, it, it's, it's emotionally more taxing Interesting, than, yeah. than, uh, than perhaps creating a game world is mentally taxing, you know? So it sounds like um, for you that the beginning of your player base for the streams were people you knew. Mm-hmm. Um, when did it expand beyond that and how did that expand? Well, pretty early on, we, you know, we, we knew that we wanted, uh, guests that would bring eyes on the channel, um, and that, um, you know, uh, would be entertaining. So being in the entertainment industry, all three of us, we, we tried to pick people that we thought would fit, but we, you know, we quickly realized that, um, someone having played before or being enthusiastic about it is almost more important than their mm-hmm. pedigree in terms of, I don't know, fame or whatever other word you want to use. How, how many uh, people, how many eyes they'll bring to us. And I, 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 while we throw no one out of bed for being uh, popular or being someone who might get us some attention and we still court those kind of guests, we also know that we we just want people who have a love for the game 
and to bring enthusiasm. And you know, my current uh, Cthulhu stream, which we're doing the third part of a three-part storyline on um, Saturday, you know, you might not know all the names there, but like the way they have worked together, five, five, we were doing one with five people. Usually my games have three people like, and are so generous about making sure each person gets time in the spotlight, gets to play their character a little bit. Um, they work together. It's very kind of cool to watch. And uh, sometimes when you bring someone on just because they're famous or entertaining, they won't do that. Right. right. Like, um, so because they, you know, and, and, and understandably they think, oh, my job's to come on here and entertain. <laughs> Uh, but your job is really to play the game. On our stream, yep. the job is play the game, and that doesn't always mean taking center stage. Hopefully, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that I've noticed, too, about your different casts is I've gone through and caught, you know, different casts as you're doing. It, it, it's a very, it tends to be a very eclectic group as far as backgrounds, um, play styles, and things like that. Is that curated by you, or is it just turned out that way? Or Well, it's more curated by Brian and Clint. Gotcha. Who, who do the booking and whom I told early on, I will play with anybody. Just uh, if they really stink in the session, I might say, oh, please don't bring that person back. But I will play with anybody you bring to me. So uh, at least once. And, right. Uh, but, I mean, I think that it's so important to have a commitment. I'm about to bang my L.A. liberal drum. Uh, which I'm never shy about banging. It's so fucking important to have a diverse cast of people doing anything. Amen. Uh, and uh, if you don't uh, understand that, I th you need to think about it a little more and read some more things. And we were we're we're highly aware of the fact that the face of this thing is not just a white dude. A super white dude. Uh, a practically transparent swamp person, white. A bog-dwelling, Scots-Irish, cis-straight white dude. And um, so we really want to fill our games as much as possible. And sometimes it is uh, challenging to it book is. that. And it Brian is. and Clint have done an incredible job uh, as much as possible with just a bunch of different uh, perspectives. And the other thing I like is um, people that are enthusiastic but play very differently. Right. Um, because we've had people come on where I'm like sort of – I mean this is the face I make. I'm like, oh, they're going to play like that? And then I play, <laughs> I play with them a little bit that way for a moment and I'm like, oh, this is fun. It's just weird. I mean someone who I can point out like is uh, Kelly Nugent – who is such a great role player, brings so much energy to her characters in our Cthulhu and our cyberpunk campaign, but her character choices. <laughs> I, if I was like um, a closed minded dude, uh, you know, neck beard, I'd be like, that's not how cyberpunks act. <laughs> but I said, yes. And, and I thought it, it added like a, it made it, it made the game weird, you know, yeah. it made it like exciting in a weird way that she, had took made such a strong choice for her character and and i and i loved it i loved both characters that she brought to our stream so far and we'll, we'll have her back um and these are the things that you discover when you play with people who are outside of your friend group you know right 
Right. It's um, and it's funny to me when I hear you talk about it, Jared, how much overlap there is in the language you use when you talk about acting and comedy and role playing, you know, the concept of choices and and and, you know, the and statement and stuff like that. It's that's something you see elsewhere, too. Um, and it fits. It's nice and comfortable um and yeah. in in the circle of role playing that's very very cool so guys we're going to take one more break when we get back from this break i want to talk uh to jared about uh, kind of the bigger world of role playing um he's gone from consumer to producer in this industry so i want to talk to uh talk to him about what his thoughts are about the greater landscape and um we're going to dig into actually stuff we've already touched on so we'll be right back Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. There are so many online retailers. It can be hard to find one that is trustworthy, has great prices, along with some reliable customer service. On the third floor, we love ordering our gaming goodies from Gadzooks Gaming. Their selection of terrain, miniatures, dice, Custom decor and conversion bits are curated for gamers by gamers. You'll find they have what you need and what you didn't know you needed to take your gaming fun to the next level. If you mention Third Floor Wars in the cart notes of your order, you'll also get a free gift and you'll help support the podcast. Check out gadzooksgaming.com and mention Third Floor Wars on checkout to get that free gift. So we kind of touched on it, Jared, as we closed out the last segment. Um, And that is kind of talking about really kind of the ecosystem of role playing. Right. Um, And uh, we talked on as far as representation, diversity, things like that, which I think is an important part of this discussion. And we'll we'll get a little bit more into that. But you made a a, a transition. Right. So now instead of consuming Twitch, you're producing on Twitch Um, instead of watching Glass Cannon, you're playing with Glass Cannon. Um, And I'd be curious. And coupled with the fact that you had a pedigree coming in of experience. Uh, you had been playing these games for decades um, and played and been exposed to several of them. So what is what is going on right now? Why is role-playing bigger now than, I mean, you're, you're 41, I'm 40, 48 now. It's never been this big. Um, true, I spent yeah. the majority of my life not telling people I role played, as I'm sure you did. And now, yeah. you know, you can tell anybody and they're like, oh, wow, cool. What is that? Yeah. What changed in your mind? If you look and I think I think books will be written about it, but I think this is the golden age. And I'd like to know what you think happened. 
Um, I think that uh, all of those old, um, all of those old stigma about uh, being the type of person who was into fantasy, that was into science fiction, sort of fell away. And uh, if I mean, let's get let's let's get real broad here. Let's really kind of go out and see the aerial photograph of this. What you see is that people stop having um, labor jobs, right? Because the mm. factories all close. So they're no longer making their uh, living with their body. And the uh, the captains of industry become not, uh, you know, robber barons who own uh, smokestacks. They become the Bill Gateses and the uh, and the Jeff Bezoses of the world. And those guys are all dorks, right? And that's that's the move to sort of nerd is cool. Nerd is uh, cool because it is at the top of the uh, we live in a capitalist society uh, m- money pyramid is where nerd is <laughs> right? um, but uh, it has a huge effect because you know those same guys were playing computer games and computer games uh, come from role-playing games a they lot do. of them do they come out of role-playing games and old war games and things that people played analog and uh, and so um, you slowly see they gave birth to this world of all, you know, infinite entertainment at all times. It can be a little daunting if you are creating something. There's infinite choices for everybody, uh, and none of them are really stigmatized, right? Like, you know, you can be uh, the bachelor super nerd and know everything about it and post on the forums. And if you told your boss that, your boss won't go what and like <laughs> kick you. You know what I mean? Like your boss yeah. will be like, Oh, I know I'm the same way about real housewives. Like, um, and we have all more. I mean, it, it seems like the world is going downhill, but the truth is we have less violence. We have less death due to accident and we have more free time. Well, that's not totally true. The, uh, the workforce has had to work more lately, but, People people make more time for yeah, these kind the, of pursuits. The world's got a long ways to go, Jared, but the world's a lot better than it was fifty years ago. Yes, and in, in right? many in many ways, right? And so, um, so that's why dork became cool, uh, and it lost all of the old negative associations that it had in the fifties or whatever, and uh, and people were just ready for it. You know, I mean, come on, it it, it if Dungeons and Dragons five E is right beside the MCU. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's right beside probably five other things I could mention if I'd done an in-depth study. So what are those five things to you at home? Send them (laughs) send them to Craig. Leave a comment. (laughs) Leave a comment. Send them to Craig. Tell him what he got wrong. People on my stream always let me know in the YouTube comments what I got wrong. Please send me what I got wrong on this podcast. Um, So that actually brings me to an interesting question. Um, I have been very blessed to get an incredible amount of kind listeners and viewers. Um, people are so nice. Uh, they, they, so nice that they spend time listening to me run my mouth and watch me run my mouth and say so many nice things, but there's always the other one. And I'd be interested to know, Jared, how you have handled exposing yourself to the 
uh, the hard comments, the hard views, the hard opinions. Yes. Well, not easily because I have an extremely fragile ego and I am petty in my vengeances. But what I will say is um, the same way you handle comments like that is the same way you learn to play with different people and the same way you learn to create open-ended games. And that is by saying yes to people instead of no, saying yes first and also – being aware of your own biases or trying to be nobody can be 100% aware of their own biases but be aware of your own biases and I that's something that I've not been able to do until hitting about the age of 40 to be honest with you because you're so you love your biases so much and they're yeah. what makes you a cool dude um, but they're really not um, these universal truths they're just something that happens to be how you like to do things or yep. how you think things are cool or or prettier or make you know it's it's what makes you happy it's not what makes every everyone happy you don't fucking matter ultimately you are a small <laughs> ant in a big wide world and once you um sort of embrace that modesty a little bit as much as you're able and i like i said you can tell from how much i'm talking that i love the sound of my own voice and have an enormous inflated ego but if you can just kind of keep in mind a little bit that you don't know everything. Well, those comments become a lot easier to take. Yeah. You go and, and you know, often the thing I get mad at is something where I know the person had a point. Interesting. Um, uh, well, but then there's also sometimes I'll look at a comment and it'll be negative. And by the way, everybody's been super nice on our show too. We have the best fans in the world, but sometimes people will politely give a criticism or, um, an idea for how to make things better and I'll look at it and I'll go, okay, so I know I like to do things this way and they're saying it should be this way. And I think, well, that's just the way they would do it. It's not the way I would do it. But sometimes I go, yeah, they figured out I was trying to do it that way and I failed or, (laughs) you know, I forgot that that's what I was trying to do. And then that's, you know, those hurt, but you got to, you got to keep an open mind and be aware of your biases as much as possible. If you go back, Jared, and look at uh, early Stream of Blood and what you're producing now with Stream of Blood, um, what do you think has has evolved the most? Um, you know, it could either be the show in general, the production in general, almost more importantly, you as a, as 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 the personality on Stream of Blood. What has changed the most over these last nine, ten months? That's a really interesting question. I mean, if, to me, it feels like we're just getting started. Um, like I, I keep, I keep thinking about all the changes we're going to make, right? Yeah. Because um, that's important to me is that, that it keeps evolving and getting better. What has changed since the beginning? Well, our first streams are okay. They're okay. <laughs> they're not. I mean, you know, they're a little bit of a mess. Uh, I think that we. I think that we are improving our tech and our ability to bring in multimedia elements. We're improving it slowly. Like I told you, I'm I'm a, like a Luddite and I resist it tooth and nail. Uh, <laughs> but Brian and Clint are smarter than me. And so they have uh, uh, forced me against my will to improve some of, you know, the things we do to make it more slick and appealing to the eye yep. uh, to get more multimedia in. And uh, I think as we go forward, you're going to see, you know, 
more of that and you're going to see a different interface and all of those things that make something sparkly and shiny and exciting to look at. I guess that's improved the most is our tech. But you don't see yourself changing over that period of time? Like, do, do you go back and watch some of the old streams and go, what the hell am I doing there? What, I'm so glad I don't do that anymore. Um, certainly, certainly. I bet I bet I have improved. Uh, um, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes when I look at the early streams, I, you know what makes me so exciting is like, you know, you talk about the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours or whatever. Yep. You know, that is something I lived in stand-up where right. I really saw a market improvement in my stand-up after 10,000 hours. Well, what's really exciting is I can look on YouTube and tell you how many hours I've been doing the stream of blood. <laughs> and we're not at 10,000 yet, but I know we'll get there one day. So I can keep a little, I can go like, mommy, how tall am I today? Uh, and look at my YouTube and see when I'll be a big boy. Yeah. So I can run great streams. Um, so yeah, I'm improving going Going into the different ways I've improved would be pompous. <laughs> well, and it would take a couple different episodes to get. Yeah, we probably need a special. You need to do a special for that. Um, let's talk about goals. Um, right now, um, how are you measuring success? Um, the amount of fun that I have. Okay. Uh, I, I'm in a privileged position that I can measure it that way, while Brian thinks carefully about how. Uh, it can be a uh, going financial concern or while Clint makes sure that the talent is, you know, really taken care of and feels comfortable and like they had a good time. I can just kind of be like, I, cause I know, I do know when I've run a good game versus a, an average game for me, when I've kind of taken it up a notch. And when I have those, I've, I'm beaming. I'm yeah. so happy that day. So, um, so Let's look back then. Uh, and it could be recent. It could not be recent. I mean, one of the things when I try to explain to people why I think role playing is the apex of gaming um, is that I've been playing board games, miniature games, role playing games for decades. All my most concrete biggest memories are role playing games, not rolling, you know, and, and finishing my little farm in Agricola. That's not what I want. The story I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a story about what happened 10 years ago playing GURPS, right? Um, what are what are biggies for you right now so if you look at the stream of blood at the canon that you've created so far and the catalog you've created so far is there any particular moments that you just go wow that was just that was just awesome gaming yeah um sure i can probably think of some first in in regards to your little comment about like um i don't know why it was little your regular comment about <laughs> how uh how, your, your silly little little words <laughs> in regards to your tiny bon mot, um, uh, in regards to that, Thomas Middleditch has talked about that a lot. He's talked about it, about how you create memories for people that you pretended to be in the game. Yeah. And he's a hardcore actor, like, I mean, a, a successful actor. And I think he would say that about role-playing games, uh, that it's more true of role-playing games, even than those roles that he's created on screen. So that's interesting, right? There's yeah. some kind of like you imbue an avatar with your essence a little bit when you play a role-playing game. Uh, favorite moments on the stream of blood. Mm, wow. Um, uh, I would have to say the second glass cannon blades in the dark game where we fooled with uh downtime the first time and i realized how incredible blades in the dark is like it finally like sunk in <laughs> uh and how fun it is to 
do the bookkeeping in a game, which is what downtime is. Uh, but it's not bookkeeping. It's gaming. It's like, yeah, it's a fictional life. Um, and that's really, really cool. That was an amazing moment. Um, boy, there have been others. Oh, uh, the Narcotic Sonata was a uh, Call of Cthulhu scenario we did uh, with uh, Becca Scott, who's amazing, uh, and um, Ross. Uh, and well, it, the ending of that storyline, which is three uh, three episodes long, people were writing in about it suddenly because I felt like in that one, I didn't. I ran out of runway. So wow. I had I had gotten through all of my notes and there was still an hour <laughs> left in the stream and I didn't know what to do <laughs> and the What's characters next? were kind of all dead <laughs> and the thought happened through my mind like oh maybe you just end it now and I was like no no there's more to show people and um this actually goes against another piece of advice I have which is to don't you don't need to show the players everything like you'll create this dungeon and you're like they have to go in every room and see every monster and pull every lever and that takes away from your games actually it does but in this particular case um i did think that there was one more coda i could give to it and it made it much more horrific and people loved it so that was a great moment and then i will i will just finally just point out to all of the vampires of Pittsburgh inquisitor crossover games we've done. So, uh, and that came out of a happy accident. You know, we had players that couldn't be there all the time. Right. Um, cause they're busy actors or they're busy sure. business people. And you know, you get an email a couple of days ahead of time that says, Hey, I can't be there. And I never get mad. I'm just like, Oh, it's cool that they're working. Uh, this is a silly, <laughs> this is a silly vampire stream. So what can I do? And I thought we realized, wait, what if we played the bad guys? What if we played the other side, you know, and we can book these great people to do it. And wouldn't it be wild if we book people who are vampires on other vampire streams to play inquisitors in our game because they'll really know how you hurt a vampire, right? Like they'll they'll come in with all the knowledge of how it works in that world, and we're gonna do more of those. And that, that's cool. But those games were very entertaining for me, and those were such great players that we grabbed for them. So, yeah, those are my three answers. So you talked about um, doing some more Blades in the Dark. Um, can we talk a little bit more about what's, uh, what's on the, uh, on the plate coming down? Absolutely. So you're still going to get everything we're already doing. Vampires of Pittsburgh. This current storyline is called lockdown. Um, you are also going to get, um, some blades in the dark, but you're going to get it more often. And you're still going to get the Neptune society, which is our call of Cthulhu gaslight show. So it takes place in the Victorian era. And then we are adding Thaco Tuesdays, which will be our, uh, old school Dungeons and Dragons campaign. We're playing with. Oh wait, this isn't visual. Um, I was about to hold up a book. Oh my god. Um, we're playing with old school essentials, which is a fantastic uh, system that really just cribs. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all D and D. It's all yep, D and D. Yep. And we're gonna play a real beer and pretzels game, so it's not gonna have all the story internal logic that you know Vampires of Pittsburgh has. It's hopefully if if I'm successful, we'll feel like playing Dungeons and Dragons like at lunch in 1986 at right. a high school. Um, and uh, what else? We have other things coming. Oh, 
I'm filming a Conan game tomorrow. Are you Super a Conan fan? Dude, yeah. dude, when you mentioned that on the uh, your fireside chat, I almost yeah. lost my mind. Yeah, and that's uh, that's going to be really exciting. We've got great players for that. Uh, great world. I, yeah, it's a fantastic world, and it's a fantastic game. If you haven't gotten to play the Modifius Conan game yet, I it's not. really good. And it has a ton of support, and I don't know that any... Everybody I talk to is like, I don't know what that is. Everybody talks about Powered by the Apocalypse all the time. They're <laughs> great, but there's other shit, guys. There's, <laughs> there's other stuff than 5e Dungeons and Dragons. It's like 5e Dungeons and Dragons or Powered by the Apocalypse yeah. or Go Home. And I'm like, yeah. no, no. Play Modifius's, uh Conan game, their Star Trek game. They make great games. Yeah, I've heard also good things about the Star Trek game as well. Uh, I got it a good uses buddy the of mine same system as Conan, and it's uh, it's great. It's really truly great. Very very exciting. All right, last but not least, Jared, um, I've got a mixture of listeners. Um, I've got listeners that uh, came to me because of the miniature game content I do. Some listeners have come to me because of the designers and developers I talk to. I've got fans that are here for the role playing games. For those that don't play role playing games, um, what can we say to them to make them realize that they're really missing out? Um, so, what is your elevator pitch when you say to somebody, you know, you really need to be doing this? Yeah. Um- I, you know, my my brother and his friends are are not. They've always been a little harder to sell on role playing games because they really love a tactical game where you're making a lot of like optimal choices, um, and you know taking advantage of the strategy of that. And what I will say to convince people like that, because I think that is sometimes how the board gamer thinks mm-hmm. or uh, the card game player thinks is that role-playing games can involve that in a strong way. I know I've been sitting here talking about uh, improvising all night, but you should know that you you will get that strategy uh, in a game as well, Um, especially in, say, a Dungeons & Dragons 5e game where I think... They they really need my help to sell their product, but (laughs) I, I think in those games, you know, they're they're best played as a, as a combat simulator for the most part like that, that's what the game wants you to do and you'll find that you have so many little fiddly options and there are optimal actions to take and it's a little bit of like a little war simulator i mean if you're a miniatures guy of course you, you'll you'll fit right in yep. the only difference is when you walk to the edge of the map the guy running the game can make the map keep going uh and that is um that's an advantage none of the other games have, you know, like you, how, how do you know, the greatest challenge of all for you is how do you optimize in a world where your character can do, isn't limited to four actions, right? Now you're thinking about, wait, is this fifth action optimal? Is this 17th action optimal? <laughs> oh my God, I've shit my pants. And, uh, that's fun. That's exciting. You're jumping yeah, off think- the cliff. And I think that um, you don't have to be Jared Logan the first time you play. You don't have to perform and 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 fully, you know, Matt Mercer role play the whole the whole thing the first time. You can just go in and, and like you said, focus on the mechanics to start off with, and then I would expand. More from there. people would. I mean, including <laughs> myself. Sometimes you know people emphasize the improv- improvisation or the acting of it but the rules are very important too yeah and uh and just you know make you know taking a couple of the rules out of the book and making a scenario with them and i always let you know in my home games there are people that play more like 
my guy does this, you know, or, you know, their friend, their character's name is Raven. Raven uh, says, uh, give me that back. I'm f- okay, great. You yeah. don't have to be like, I am Raven and I have found your secret. You don't have to always do that. That's insane. Yep, no, I agree. Uh, can't thank you enough, my friend. This was fantastic. I really hey. appreciate you make, taking the time. No, thank you, Greg. <laughs> All right, so if my uh, floorheads want to find more of you, they're going to obviously go to Twitch and look for Stream of Blood. Yep. They're also going to do the same thing for YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, need to track down your podcast. What else do we need to plug? Um, uh, I, if you have epics and some people do, I just did a half hour of stand up on epics on a, on a show called unprotected sets. Nice a little play on words. Um, <laughs> so clever. And, and I would love it if people would listen to my two cow comedy albums, which are wherever you listen to music, Spotify, Pandora, or you could buy it even imagine, um, uh, there, those albums are called my brave battle. And the other one is called The Twilight Door. Excellent. Excellent. I will have links to all of that stuff in the show notes. Uh, Jared, I'm going to come up with another, another excuse to get you on. I appreciate it, my friend. I'd love to come back. Thanks, Craig. All right. And for those of you that stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. I'm going to walk Take down care. to the first floor now. <laughs> I told my it's wife a long I said hi. way. <laughs> all right. Take care, everybody. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right. Unimus. You're almost free, my friend. You're almost Well, I want to thank you so much for for just signal boosting our stream and just be, you know, honoring me with a, a, a Jesus Christ, such a platform to talk about all this stuff. <laughs> Dude, I'm You can tell I'm sweating to <laughs> you, let people you, know. You you might get one extra viewer from this. Don't think this is a big deal. <laughs> no, no, no. I I, I don't care uh, the number, Greg. I'm just saying. I'm just I saying. T- I get 10,000 listens a month. I'm very small. Very, very that's, tiny. That's, <laughs> hey, man, I'll take that one guy. I'll but. take that one guy and, and hold him to my bosom. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. But I, I, appreciate I, it. I, I, I just, you know. 
congrats to you for putting something like this together and for having these conversations, man. Look at you. I have fun doing it. I have a lot of fun doing it. And uh, I can't get over how generous people have been coming on. Um, the, The people that I book surprise me. Um, yeah. and luckily they have a good time and I, I get a lot of referrals, which makes me very happy. So, awesome. Yeah. 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 I saw you um, had Dead Willer. I want to. I want to listen. I haven't gotten to listen yet, but I love those yeah. old Call of Cthulhu and Peg, dude, Pagan you're Publishing. Love, guys. You're gonna love that interview. Dead Willer Great. is a fascinating dude. Fascinating dude. And I, I'm similar to you in that I like. I like figuring out stuff, right? Like I want to get in there and figure out like, and so that's what I do with like Harper and Detwiller and stuff is I try to open their brains up and, you know, yeah. figure out what, what's going on in there. And, um, you know, I've had the, there's a whole bunch of these coming out. So this, this whole series, uh, focused on role-playing, I've got like seven in the can now. And, mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll ping them to you. I'll just shoot Please, you a quick email. Yeah, to let you we'll know. listen to them and, you know, we'll retweet and stuff. Yeah, That'd be sure. great. That'd be great. All right. Um, Hardest thing I've tried to figure out is how to come out of a break. Um, Take your time, my friend. All right, boss man. Perfect transition, sir. Oh, great. Um, anything that we have not talked about that you wish we had, or are we doing okay? I feel great, but I hope I'm interesting, Craig. I, I don't. I'd shut I'm... you down if you weren't, dude. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> I'm nice, but not that nice. Sometimes I imagine my wife listening to my rant, and I'm like, "Oh boy, I gotta stop this." Yeah, it's it's amazing our wives put up with us. I've said that a million times. Yes, it's a true. million million times. It's All true. right. Um, how do I want to start this? All right, I'm gonna start it by blowing some smoke. All right, I'm ready. My ass is open. (laughs) Good. It's good because I'm about to blow it. All right. Boy, I knew it was going to be tough to get you talking, man. Oh, I know. I am an autist. Is that what they say? Someone who speaks who speaks rarely. I've never heard that term. Look at you, fancy pants. Mm, I'm very well read. You are extremely impressive. Erudite. Um, so I think what, I'm, what, what we're going to do here, um, is a uh, s- similar type thing, man. Just kind of walk through it. Does that sound good? Yeah. Are you having fun? Can I, I do anything time. better for you? No, this is perfect, man. This okay, is exa- sweet. Exactly what I always try to do on the show, which is as soon as it's just two guys chatting, the better off we are. Okay, great. Yep. And, um, if we go left, go right. And I think it's boring and nobody wants to hear it anymore. I'll bring us back. When they go low, you go high. <laughs> Got it. Right. Okay. All right. I'll bring us back. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.